Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm glad to be with you uh, in this capacity again. Um, I'm Jack Sup, one of your elders here. No, I'm not Santa Claus. I'm starting to look like him with the beard, but um, I'm just incognito, okay? Um, I am, uh, somehow, I, I drew batting cleanup in our incarnation series. Not quite sure how that happened after the murderer's row of previous preachers you had here, um, but I don't know, God, God, I guess, has a sense of humor. I can assure you I am the least qualified of the group, but we'll see what, he, what God does with it today, right? Uh, in fact, uh, let's offer the entire time to him in prayer. Can you, can you bow with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, I, I lift up our time before you right now, and it's an offering of our worship to you. Uh, we pray that you will receive it in that way, that you will be delighted in uh, the transactions that are unfolding today. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit will be moving in us. Um, I, I offer myself as your conduit for your word. May it be your word, not my words. Uh, get me out of the way and, if, and in fact, uh, forbid me to say anything that would dishonor you or misrepresent you to the people today. Uh, Lord, work in our hearts. Build us up for your work because it's you who are at work in us to do and to will according to your pleasure. Uh, Lord, I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, this is the uh, last in a four-week series on the Incarnation, and I want to start out with a quick recap of where we've been the last few weeks. Uh, my, my brother was leadoff hitter in, uh, in tracing the what he called the scarlet thread of salvation throughout the scriptures, and you remember he went all the way back. It starts right in Genesis, Genesis 3. It doesn't take long to kind of get into this concept of salvation and the need for salvation following the fall. And then Pastor Wagner was here in week two, and he talked about the incarnation itself and what was all going on, the dynamic of that, and how it was kind of God in the ordinary. Uh, He was was injecting himself into human history, but the circumstances of all that were were so extremely ordinary. Uh, A normal human baby delivered in the normal way the babies are, and in every outward appearance, it was very normal, but masking the, the supernatural miracle that was actually going on there. Um, but it, it was bringing hope to us. Hope entered the world in a most ordinary way. And then last week, Matt Duransky was here and talking to us about how the awesome one made himself approachable. Um, the one in magnificent glory, overwhelming, overpowering uh, magnificence, uh, made himself approachable by mortal human beings. And so that was, that was where we are. And uh, you remember that uh, Jim introduced the, the key verse for our series in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That is the incarnation. That is what we are actually talking about here today. Um, and then we're going to move on today to this idea of the incarnation is our mission. And uh, I'll explain exactly what I mean by all of that as we go through it. But that's the title, the actual title for today's message. Um, To lay the foundation for even understanding what our mission is, we have to first look at what Christ's mission was. And so we're going to work through quickly from the condescension, that is his leaving his glory in heaven, coming to earth, and then moving on to the cross. We're going to weave that all together to to create the foundation for our mission now in the world going forward. So if we look first at the, what Spurgeon called the infinite condescension. So infinite in the sense that Jesus was in his glorious heaven and he left all of that, veiled his glory in human flesh, that's the incarnation of which we speak, and and he came to us in that way. That was a huge step, a huge step for, for, for Jesus to do that, leave his glory and, and walk among us. Uh, the second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we've sung it already this month, but in case you forget that, how that verse goes, it says this, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. So he came down, he left his throne to be among us, to be even one of us in some amazing sense. But with an appointment with the cross, and we're going to talk about that some more and how that is uh, necessarily connected to the Christmas story. 
all that the awesome one might be approachable to us. Um, so has anybody ever seen the, the uh, Disney cartoon Aladdin, the feature-length movie? Yeah, okay, a few of you out there. There was one particular scene in there uh, that I don't imagine Robin Williams, who voiced the genie in that, nor Disney, who put the whole thing together, could have possibly understood the, the actual significance of what they were saying. But it, it, it went like this. You remember how the genie was talking about his, uh, his circumstances, right? And he was saying, phenomenal cosmic power in itty-bitty living space, <laughs> right? But think about it. I'm not the first one to make this connection. I found this in my research. Phenomenal, even infinite cosmic power. The, 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 the symbol, the icon on the left, the alpha and omega, if you look carefully, uh, the, the, uh, right there, right? The alpha and omega symbol. This is Jesus on his throne in glory, where he belongs, right? Where he ought to be as the, as the great God, the second person of the Godhead. Comes, and in some sense, somehow, this infinite omnipresent, meaning all present everywhere, the eternal, if you will allow me to speculate even, hyperdimensional uh, God, he became localized in time and space. The one who holds the universe in his hand is now in a human baby. It's an amazing thing, all right? But that is what we're talking about, the infinite condescension that's what it really is. And, and so, uh, did you, have you done your homework yet from Pastor Wagner two weeks ago? Did you read Philippians 2? If you didn't, don't worry about it. We're going to make it up in class right now. Here it is. We, we call it the kenosis passage, and, and Matt has talked about this some in his preaching before. Uh, kenosis comes from uh, the Greek word kenao, and it is associated with this part over here where he emptied himself, the concept of emptying, becoming abased, um, um, of no reputation. That's what Jesus is doing here. This is uh, the, the, the verse. So let me, let's, talk, let's uh, talk through it here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, at least, maybe multiple. But sometimes we stop there. Uh, I want to give you the, the extra credit on this one. The next segment is the implications of this. Go on in the next few verses. Therefore, my beloved, Paul goes on to say, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom your light shines as, as among whom your, you shine as lights in the world. Oh, there's a whole series of sermons there, too. Let me just point out a few things, all right? First of all, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We have an assignment here. We have work to do, people. But... Be encouraged because it's God who's actually in work in us as well. It's a team effort. He invites us to participate. And, and we're going to see this is going to become a foundational thought in the message today is we have a mission, right? And we're going to get into that in a lot more detail. But God is in the midst of it all, right? He's making it all happen. Um, the other thing I want to show is that or talk about is the, this idea that it's in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Paul was talking to the people back then. It is no different now. Look around, right? Pick up a newspaper or watch the TV. We, our generation is crooked and twisted too. That's because we have a depravity problem. It's been the same since the fall throughout time in human history. And then here's, the, here's one of the keys too, this idea of shining as lights in the world. We're going to get to that and explain that in more detail eventually too. Uh, 
excellent passage there in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Um, the other thing I want to point out is that uh, when Jesus did all this, he did it very, um, with no ostentation. I can't say it better than that. The, he, there's, a, there's a song, a, a modern Christmas song, called uh, How Should a King Come? Right, and it com- contrasts how, in normal human terms, how a king would normally show up, right? All kinds of pomp and splendor and all kinds of fanfare and everything. Not Jesus. Uh, the closest we get to that is, is the angels announcing the birth to the shepherds, the lowly shepherds out in the field somewhere. All of the really important people of the day didn't get notified about anything. Jesus just shows up um, through a normal birth as any other infant and in fact even in more humble circumstances than most uh, using uh, uh, an, an animal's feeding trough as his bed right so so very humble entrance into the world just like our God to do things completely contrary to the way a normal human uh, expectation would be um, so and I, I gotta I gotta tell you this when I when I was a younger guy I always hated it when a preacher would get up here and kind of ruin the whole Christmas feeling. We got a nice, happy Christmas story going on, and he wants to talk about the cross, the ugly, gruesome cross, right? Why do you want to mess it up like that, man? Come on. All right, I'm that guy. I'm going to do it to you, okay? So here we go. I, I, I can't avoid it, though, because it's, it was his mission, the whole reason there was a Christmas was because he had an appointment with the cross. Why? Because he was the Savior. And he wasn't going to be accomplishing, he wasn't going to be able to accomplish his mission as Savior without going to the cross to provide atonement. Here's the thing. Sin has to be punished. And God just can't wink at it and pretend it's not there. So Jesus came to take that punishment, to provide an atonement for us. So here, you've got to understand, you have a sin problem. I have a sin problem too. I'm the same. But if you're going to be honest with yourself, you know you have a sin problem. You know you felt the pangs of guilt at some point. And I'm telling you, all it takes is a single errant thought to alienate you from the perfect, pure, holy God. So, be honest with yourself, you know you have a sin problem. So you need this Savior. So, so what I'm going to say right now is you need to deal with God. If you're here today and you have never put your trust or your faith in this Savior to solve your sin problem, if you have never come clean with him and admitted, God, yes, I know I have a sin problem. I need help. Thank you for providing a Savior. I accept that provision now. That is the key. That is how to get right with God. That is how to ensure eternal life for yourself and, and uh, get right with God. So here, uh, right now where you are in your seat, deal with this Savior. Deal with God. Uh, come to him. And you can, I give you permission to ignore everything else I say from here on out if you have not yet done that. Take the rest of the time, come clean, deal with God, and accept this Savior that he has provided. So for the, rest, the, the message is for the rest of you then. Anyone who's already there, that's who I'm talking to, the body of Christ, people who are already his people. Right, but, but we needed to get that clear first. Uh, a few more additional thoughts about the cross while I'm at it. Uh, no additional charge here. Um, you remember, some of you may, may remember back in January, I was up here and I was talking to you about the world and faith. And I said, as a physicist, I can trot out the equation. In fact, I did. I showed you, I showed you the equation that, that, sh- that uh, is the gravity that governs the force of gravity. I showed you Maxwell's equations that govern all of the electromagnetic fields and waves going on. And I, and I told you, though, at the same time that as a physicist, I can't tell you why any of that happens. But then I told you, but as an amateur theologian, I found Colossians 1.17 which says, in him all things hold together. And I told you then that what that is really telling me, at least, is that the whole reason any of that works, the whole reason the whole universe continues to be moment by moment is because he is holding it together. So now I've got to tell you what I've been thinking lately. 
I think about things all the time, and sometimes I think I think too much, maybe. But I was pondering this, the business of the cross. Now think about this, right? Last week, last week Matt touched on it briefly. He said, you know, as Mary was holding the little Christ child, that child, in some mysterious way, was holding the universe still. So I'm going I'm to pull that thread a little long, further and make it a little bit more personal, maybe. And I'm going to tell you that this Jesus, who's holding everything together, he was holding the cross together. All the atoms in the cross, he was holding together, enforcing the strong nuclear forces and all that stuff in there. He was holding the cross together that he was hanging on. He was holding the nails together that were pinning him to that cross. He held all the atoms of the hammer together that drove the nails through his body into the cross. He was holding all the molecules that made up the Romans' bodies who were driving the nails through his body into the cross. And he was holding together all of the nerve fibers in his own body that were conveying all the pain impulses to his brain. This is a really tough person, being, character that we're dealing with here. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could have pulled that off. In the midst of all that abuse and pain, not for a moment did he lose laser beam focus on the mission. I, I would suggest to you, if I'm hanging there and in all that agony, I might slip a, a moment or two and suddenly the whole thing falls apart because I'm not paying attention to holding it all together. But he had to because it was part of the plan. It's how the atonement was made. So he was ignoring all of that suffering, all of that pain, uh, to hold it all together, to keep it working, to achieve the mission. So this was his mission. And we're going to start looking at some aspects of our mission. The first, as the first part, though, is before we even get to the mission, is kind of a prerequisite for the mission. If you don't understand this concept of taking up your cross, you're never really going to be in a position where you can pull off this mission thing. So what are we talking about? It's, it's, it's a self-denial thing. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23 and 4. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Wow, that's another, again, another whole sermon in its own right. But let's at least get it, uh, a couple of things out of this. First, this idea of taking up your cross. A lot of times we use the phrase, oh, it's his cross to bear, when something bad happens to somebody. And that may be an element of, of uh, carrying your cross, but I think this is a more, more of a deliberate thing. What he's saying here really is not just kind of bearing up under the hard things that happen to you. He is saying, no, you need to deliberately lay your own self-interest aside, sacrifice yourself, and follow me. Put my agenda at the front of your list. And this, this second uh, sentence here in verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but lo whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's a, a paradoxical truth that you really need to try and get your head around because if you don't understand that, you're never really going to be able to stay on mission the way I'm going to challenge you to be. Because what it's basically saying is you can try and wrap yourself in a hermetically sealed bubble and keep away from any hurt or injury or any kind of thing in the world and you will live kind of and then you'll die and your life will have mattered not one whit and you'll still be dead. But what he's saying is if you will risk, if you will lay yourself aside, if you will sacrifice your own self for my sake and my agenda, that's when you're going to really live. Think about it. No matter what the world or the devil or anybody tries to do to you, Jesus has you. He has you locked in his hand. Nobody's going to take you out of his hand. So for all eternity, you have life. Even when you die, you're still alive. You just transition out of this world into the next. So nothing can happen that can cause you to truly lose your life. As you sacrifice yourself for him, he guarantees you eternal life and eternal significance. You can have a huge difference if you'll do this. Let, let's uh, expand on that just a little bit. Um, this idea of self-denial is really kind of an extreme concept here. It's a true, it's a death to self, death to me and everything I want. 
Paul literally said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. He imagined himself as literally being crucified with his Lord. And so and we're going to see the rest of that verse in a little bit as we explore it some more. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian back in the last century, put it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You need it any more straightforward than that? Okay, just, he just lays it out there. It's that simple. This is not an easy believism whatever thing. This is serious business. If he's calling you, he's saying, you need to lay your life down before me and then ex and put me on, accept my will for your life. Okay, so that's kind of, that was all the introductory part of it. Now we start talking about what the true essence of our mission is. What is this mission that we're talking about? And it's fundamentally this. It's being his hands and feet. Um, so, so I want to tell you, keep, keep this thought in your head. We are God's plan A. Now, you understand that in the grand scheme of things, like, everything is God's plan A, right? I mean, there's no time when the Trinity's up there in heaven kind of huddling and say, okay, uh, that didn't work out so good, so uh, what's our plan B? <laughs> there's no plan B. All of it, the entirety of everything, even the fall, somehow is amazingly in God's plan A, ultimately. And man, that's a whole sermon too. But, but what I mean in this context is that God, his MO, his modus operandi, his primary way of accomplishing his purposes in this world, in the church age, is through us, through his body, through his people. And next to nothing in the current age happens without the church's involvement. Now, I can't say that that's exclusively true. Uh, I've, I've heard um, stories, uh, one of the stories that Ravi Zacharias, I don't know if any of you hear him on the radio, I, I, I love his, his stuff on the radio. He was talking about a guy over in the Middle East, and you'll know the Middle East is a, is a very difficult place for the church to, to be right now. It's, uh, Islam predominates, and it's, it's very unaccepting of any other ways of thinking. So there's this guy over there in the Middle East, no real church witness in his life, but but he started having dreams about Jesus every night. And he had them for seven years. Every night. So even where the church didn't exist, Jesus is injecting himself into it to achieve his purposes. But then even after that, after that time, he got into some different circumstances. He got uh, involved with the church. He became a Christian and is now involved with the church. So the church still has a role. But God does occasionally kind of inject supernaturally into people to get, get their attention. But by and large, the vast majority of the time, God is going to accomplish his purposes through you and me. If there are people to be saved, it's because we're taking the gospel message to them. If there are people to be helped and ministered to, it's because we're ministering. Right? That's going to be what I'm unfolding before you here. And another thing, just another thought that you have to come to grips with is, if you're still drawing breath... You're in the spiritual war. You didn't maybe sign up for the spiritual war. You didn't necessarily ask for the spiritual war. God didn't check with any of us. You're in it, all right? It's raging all around. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, too. Um, okay, a little bit more about this being his hands and feet. Uh, the way my brother Jim put it one time in a message is, we're Jesus with skin on. And I don't know if that was original with him or whatever, but that's the way it is. We're the physical the visible manifestation of Jesus Christ in the world today. Um, Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And also here's the second half of Galatians 2.20. Remember he said, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ, Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, one more thing, uh, a thought that, uh, again, Matt Duransky brought to mind uh, last week for me. It's this idea that we tend to, we tend to underestimate the power of, of God and the power of God specifically in us. People, remember what we're dealing with here. This is the Almighty at work. And he's working through us. Look what Jesus said just before his ascension in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Paul was amplifying some of these concepts in, in the second letter to the uh, Corinthians. 
Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So you may not be out there, you may be out there not feeling particularly competent about, you know, anything or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If God is calling you a spe- to a specific task, he is making you sufficient. It's his power that's in work in, in you. This infinite, almighty God is at work in you. So, so don't fear, friends, don't fear. All right, I want to take a look briefly at a few facets of, of our mission. Uh, some of the things that we actually are, uh, that God has given us to do in this life, we'll explore these each in a, a little bit further. Uh, one is that the world may know. All right, let's see how Jesus laid it out. In John 17, uh, what some people actually call the real Lord's Prayer, this is where Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Uh, Just a note, that's us, right? We have subsequently received the word, and we have believed, right? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Uh, Our our unity is a testimony to the world. You you understand that there are many things that people find to divide uh, ourselves over, right? All kinds of things. Uh, there, there's like, for example, race. There's lots of racial tension in the world. People, I'm, I'm here to tell you, there's one race, the human race. It's all just variations on a theme, right? But, but as human beings in the flesh, in our depraved state, we divide over that, that stuff. And there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things that come into the equation. But when God builds a unified entity out of a diverse mix of people, that's a supernatural event. That is surprising to the world. They don't understand that. And that'll be a testimony. Hey, there's something, there's something different. There's something going on with this Jesus stuff. Because these people, are, they're weird, man. They're, they actually get along. They like each other. They love each other. Um, it, it will be befound, it'll be befuddling to the world. And that will be our testimony. Um, we're going to sing, coming up, uh, uh, I'm promised by Courtney, that we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The fourth verse in that, I hope we get to it. If not, I'm going to give you a piece of it right now. It says, O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and one mind. Right? This Jesus is the only one who can pull that off. Okay? Uh, Great verses in in the Christmas carols. uh, A lot of good stuff there. Okay, so that's one thing that the world may know. He also has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what Paul wrote again in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We bear the message of reconciliation, the good news of the gospel to the world. And then there's the bit about making disciples, the Great Commission here, right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, stand back and watch me make disciples. Yeah, that's not what it says, right? Wake up. I'm just checking here. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Talking to the disciples now. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, I, I've heard it said before, and, and I think the, the proper, it would be proper translation to say, in your going, make disciples. Because the verb in all of this, actually, is make disciples. It's not a matter of going per se. So you don't have to be on some mission field in some foreign land to make a disciple. It's saying as you're going about your life, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make disciples of this one. 
That's the mission, right? We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as well as we go forward, and hopefully I can get it all in uh, today. Right? Uh, so, so let's look at a plan of action. In, in, the, in the business of, of warfare, even in a Defense Department acquisition office where I work, we talk about plan of action. What are we going to do? How's it going to lay out? And we, we talk about milestones too, a schedule for all this. I can't give you uh, milestones in your life for when any of these things should be happening. Um, that's between you and God. I can lay out for you, though, a general plan of action, some of the things that should be happening in your life if you're going to be uh, on mission. First of it, of course, is to just get in the battle. Get in the game, man. Um, the, the war rages, right? Like I said, pick up a paper, turn on the news. The war is raging. Um, and then, but if we're going to do that, if you're going to be in the battle, you better be ready. Right, otherwise you, you kind of, the evil one uh, uh, throws his fiery darts at you and you wind up in the smoking hole somewhere. We don't want that. So you've got to be prepared for the spiritual war. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about our tactics. Understand, we're in enemy-held territory. And you kind of can't avoid it because the whole world is enemy-held territory right now. But we're assaulting the gates of hell. We're pushing back. We're trying to retake territory for the rightful owner. And the territory that matters most is human hearts. That's what he's really after, right? So we're going to look at the nature of our warfare. And then we're going to pull in this idea of the uh, uh, wartime, the battlefield hospital, right? We're a hospital for the battle scarred as well. Okay, so we're going to look at some of those things. First of all, getting in the battle. Uh, this is one of my favorite extra-biblical quotes from Teddy Roosevelt. It's called The Man in the Arena. It's taken from a speech he gave, I think, I think in France or somewhere, it doesn't matter. This is the essence of what I want to get at, though, because it, it kind of illustrates uh, the, the kind of thing I'm talking about. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Um, my hope for you, friends, is that you would never be one of the timid souls. Dare greatly. That's what I'm calling you to today. That's what I think God is calling us all to today. The good news for us, though, too, is even though we may stumble and we may lose some battles here and there, ultimately, the ultimate victory is fait accompli. God already did it. The cross, the empty grave of Jesus, the resurrection, the victory is complete. We're just playing it out at this point. Satan's doom is sure. He's, he's a big loser. Nevertheless, the battle rages. There are still human souls and human destinies that hang in the balance. So we still have a mission. We're still going, but we know the victory is secure. And that's a, that's a great comfort when, when, uh, when we're really getting banged up in the, in the war. Okay, uh, more about getting in the battle. So what, what I'm saying to you, if we're going to get in the battle, what it's going to take is you need to lay aside your natural desire for ease and comfort. Now, come on, I know, I'm, I'm just like you. I like being comfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like hurting. But you know what? That's not the deal. If we're going to make a difference, if we're going to be on mission, if we're going to be part of God's plan here, we have to take up our cross. It gets unpleasant sometimes. But that's why you have to change the way you think about all this stuff. You have to adopt a missional mindset, people. That means you need to recognize that if there's anything of eternal significance happening on, it's going to be in the midst of the battle. Everything else is, is just circumstantial. It's just, uh, you know, secondary. And you have to start seeing all of your life in association with the mission, whatever it is you're doing. Like you could just be hanging out with some friends somewhere, wherever, um, and, and hopefully you're hanging out even with unsaved friends. 
But you're not just hanging out. It's not just a social occasion. You're building a relationship. You're connecting with people so that at some point, eventually, maybe there'll be an opportunity to bring them a little bit closer to God. And it's all a process, right? Uh, you can have some hardcore atheists, and a great success would be to just get them to be kind of agnostic about it, that they no longer are certain there's no God, maybe they're not so sure, maybe there's a God. But then other people may be just another inch away from coming to Christ as their Savior, and maybe you're going to be there to help them across that threshold because you've been building a relationship with that person. You've earned their trust. So whatever you're doing, view it in the context of the mission, and you will accomplish many and wonderful things. Okay, so another, kind of, let's, let's, let's paint a picture for you. So, which is the better metaphor for the life you want, right? Is it the cruise ship, the love boat over there? Some of you young people, if you're younger than 40, probably don't even know what I mean by the love boat. But, um, okay, now understand, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with going on cruises, okay? Those are fine. I have some friends that have taken cruises all around the world, seen amazing things, and that's fine. Um, in fact, in fact uh, God told us in 1 Timothy, Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, that God has given us all these things to enjoy ritually. Right? He wants us to, to enjoy life, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But I'm going to argue that the cruise ship is a really bad metaphor for life. That's a, a hedonist metaphor for life, right? Always wanting to feel good, the pleasures, and have everybody cater to me, and just whatever it takes to make me feel good and be happy. The better metaphor I, I'm suggesting to you for our life is a battleship. Now, the accommodations on a battleship are rather spartan compared to those on a cruise ship, right? Well, there's no water park, and there's no pretty music, and there's, you know, you're not eating continuously, and the beds aren't, you know, just perfectly comfortable all the time. But the people that are on this battleship, they're accomplishing something. They're on a mission. It's not always a pleasant mission. But they are making a difference in the world. Right? Um, so what's it going to be for you? Uh, do you? Do you want the continuous cruise ship all the time? You can take liberty occasionally, right? Get a little bit of leave, go off and recuperate regenerate, but the mission, the time, should be in the battleship. That's where our lives ought to be. Here's another way to think of it. A uh, great sh uh, ship captain from the American Revolution, John Paul Jones, said this, I wish to have no connection with any ship that does not sail fast, for I intend to go in harm's way. He's going in harm's way. He's on a mission. He knows it's dangerous. He's determined. He doesn't care. He's going in harm's way because that's what it's going to take to get something done. Okay, same for us. If we're going to accomplish something in this world for Christ, we will be going in harm's way. Get your mind into that now. Get excited about that. It may not always be pleasant. It may not always be safe. And I, I, know, I know you moms out there, you love for your babies to be safe and, and secure. You don't want them to get hurt. But if they're going to make a difference, they have to go in harm's way. Okay. So, how do we prepare for getting into the battle? Well, first of all, I really encourage you to get involved in the discipleship ministry that we're building around here. Um, uh, Dennis Fay and Jerry Small were doing some initial discipleship things, and then uh, Pastor Walker and Cedric Brown over the last few years have been trying to kind of formalize, get, get intentional about some of that stuff right now. Matt Duransky is trying to flesh out that vision and we're overhauling the entire uh, discipleship ministry. And one of the focuses of all of that currently is uh, these discipleship triads or quads, right? Micro groups, if you will. Just a few people getting together doing life on life type of thing. This is where you're going to be building the, de the, de the depth of relationship with other Christians so that you will be strengthened and prepared to engage the world in the spiritual war. I, I would be, it would, 
it would make me very happy if Matt Duransky was completely overwhelmed by all of your requests to get into some of these triads, okay? I'm, I'm setting them up now, but it's okay. And he'll love it too, because that's what we're trying to do. That's going to be key. That's a key element. We also have small groups. Small groups are still going on. Those are great tools too. There's many other things that are coming, Sunday school classes and the rest. Um, all of this in the concept of, of making disciples, building you up, having you become more like a disciple of Christ. Another thing, serve. Serve in the body. Each of us has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, you may not feel, like I said, particularly competent about any particular thing. doesn't matter. You have something. All right? You have some gifting, that, something that you can do. Um, if nothing else, you can come join me and work in the nursery. All right? All you need, the one, one requirement there, be willing to love little kids. Okay, I think, I think you can do that. I think you can pull it off, right? Um, I'll tell you, I've been getting a reputation of somewhat of a toddler whisperer in there, okay? <laughs> I got my, little, I got my little, little buddies. In fact, I, uh, I was a little late getting in the service today because I was trying to get one of the little ones, Madison, kind of calmed down so, so she would be okay. Every week she comes in and sits on my lap and we just hug for a little while. It's, uh, it's amazing how tight you can get with uh, even just the little people uh, when, when you're doing the work of the ministry. So I invite you to come on in and, and have fun with us. Um, I don't know what the dynamic is exactly. I'll get down on the floor and roll around with them and play and, and whatever and, and just love on them. Sometimes I get a, honestly a little carried away and Mrs. Supp has to put me in timeout and <laughs> so we get it under control again. Um, so, but, but I invite you to come and join us. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple thing, really. Uh, and we're only asked for like a once a month type of a commitment. And you guys, too, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, the dynamic, but the kids seem to like a male presence in the nursery there, too. So don't think you can't uh, do this as well. Anyway, uh, shameless plug for my wife's uh, nursery ministry. But anyway, um, okay, moving on. The, uh, the other thing you need to do is take up the full armor of God. He's given us armor to equip us for the spiritual war. Not a visible armor that can you actually see, but spiritual armor. So that again, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil and we don't wind up in the smoking ditch, right? Uh, I, I do not have nearly enough time to explore that. That's not only another sermon, that's a whole series of sermons. In fact, I can tell you that my brother Jim did a five-part series on the armor of God. He pulls it all apart, explains all the imagery that, that Paul uses in that passage, and really drives it home what this is all about. Uh, I strongly suggest it to you, and in fact, I can provide that to you if you are interested in following up and, and listening to my brother's sermon series. Uh, just see me afterward, and, and I'll, I'll write your name down. I'll get that information to you. Um, so, the armor of God. Uh, if nothing else, at least take this as a homework assignment. Read Ephesians 6, 11 to 17 sometime this week, and, and take it slow. Ponder it. Work through it. Meditate on that, and make sure you are being equipped for the battle. All right, so fighting the war now. Uh, what are our tactics in this war? Uh, first of all, you, you got to understand that we, remember, we're carrying the message of reconciliation. This is a good news story. Uh, we are carrying it to people who are not the enemy. They are people who are oppressed by the enemy. Now, sometimes they're unwitting uh, partners with the enemy in it, and they kind of seem like enemies to us, the way they interact with us, right? But they are not the real enemy. They are victims. And if we can get this good news into their heads and into their hearts, we can break them free from the oppression of the enemy. So, um, what Paul said in Romans 12, we're not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And I can't explain to you how that works in any given situation, but you kind of know it when it's happening. We are not to respond with evil for evil, right? Uh, that's the way the world works. Uh, giving insult for insult, injury for injury. If you get drawn into that kind of battle, you've already lost the battle. So, so think of it as sort of this, uh, as they say, asymmetric warfare. The world has a certain way of working, and we are going to do things that completely undermine their power and their strength and their way of working. You don't fight darkness with darkness, people. 
you dispel the darkness by shining the light. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I can't emphasize this enough. We, you can't go about beating people over the head with the gospel. It doesn't work that way. That's the way communism works. That's the way Islam works. That's the way most other systems of thinking work. They force it on you. God doesn't work that way. He woos. He draws people in. He loves them into the kingdom. He doesn't coerce them into the kingdom. Okay, you got to keep that in mind. Very important. Um, and then also, right, we're the, we're the hospital for the war-weary. Um, life in a fallen world is hard. Uh, it just is. There's no way around that. Um, I, and I don't have to tell you that, right? You, you all know, and I, actually I know some of you and some of your current life circumstances, some of you even this very day, are facing some, some pretty big challenges. Because life in a fallen world is hard. Um, I, I, I caught an episode of... Um, Last Man Standing. I don't necessarily endorse the show to you because the language gets a little coarse at times, but there was one particular funny part in one episode where the one daughter named Mandy had just had a major setback in her uh, budding uh, fashion business or whatever. And so she was really discouraged and distressed, uh, quest questioning everything, didn't know what she was going to do next and everything. So, but her dad is there trying to kind of help her through it all. And so she said to him, just tell me the truth. Does life get any easier? He takes a deep breath and he says, no, but the good news is it goes by real quick. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it is, right? Um, it doesn't get any better necessarily. Uh, there may be things along the way that we enjoy, like I said before, and that's okay. But it's always got elements of difficulty. It's an ebb and flow of challenges of various kinds and at some future date, I'd like to maybe bring another message specifically focused on that kind of thing. Uh, trusting God when it hurts, when it really seems desperate and hopeless, uh, maybe in the new year. Uh, I'll get to that, Lord willing. Um, but, but here's the idea. Not only is life in a fallen world hard, but now if you're going to go be on mission, it, it stands to get even worse in some ways. Because you're going to open yourself up to to uh, exploitation and persecution. The devil's not going to like that you're out there fighting against them and trying to, to regain hearts for, for God, for Christ. So he's going to be shooting his flaming arrows at you. He's going to be trying to trip you up at every step of the way. He's going to be beating on you. Jesus said it. He told you that that's the way it would be. He said, the world hates me. Guess what? It's going to hate you too. You associate yourself with Jesus, the world will hate you. So it gets hard, it gets hurting. But that's what we're here for, people. The church is the field at hospital for, the, for those who are wounded in the spiritual battle. So what, what's that mean? What's that look like? It means two things. One, if you're one of the ones that's wounded, if you're having a really tough time right now, don't sit in isolation at home, suffering or whatever. Come to the body. Find somebody in the church and let them minister to you. Um, that's part of the reason of being in those little triads that I'm talking about. Those intimate friendships you're building, those are the types of people that will be able to help you through the present difficulty and, and nurse you back to health so you can get back in the battle, back on mission. That's what it's all about. That also means that if you're in this body, you need to have... You need to make yourself available to minister to the hurting in the body. That means you're going to have to have time. You're going to have to be able to be interruptible, right? So if you're, there's, now we have a problem in modern America because there's a lot of fun, cool stuff you can do. All kinds of activities that can consume your life. And if you're running around 100 miles an hour to all these different things, you may miss opportunities to minister, you have got to make room, got to be able to clear your schedule so that when somebody has a need, you can be there for them, so that you can be ministering and binding up their wounds. All right? Very critical that we understand that. Again, it's all part of keeping what's important, right? Keep keeping on task, on mission. Um, 
Okay, let me, let me uh, go to one passage here that kind of addresses that at some level. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Okay, again, there's a whole lot there to, to truly unpack. But you can see how many times Paul mentions this idea of comfort and that we are comforting others with the same kind of comfort we've received. It, it all kind of goes around continuously. We comfort others, they comfort us, and all together we're building each other up so that in our sufferings we are strengthened for the mission that remains before us. Remember, like I said, if you're still breathing, you're, you still have a mission. Um, I, I, I could tell you personally a, a number of times when I actually should have died, but God wasn't with me yet. Uh, God, God wasn't finished with me yet. Um, so I'm here. I don't know what all he's doing, what his plan for me is, but the fact that I'm still breathing means he's not done with me yet. Same for you. He's got something for you. I don't know what it is, all right? But it is part of the grand scheme that he's weaving uh, throughout all human history. Okay, so here we go. Just a real quick uh, review of the types of things we covered. We started looking at Christ's mission, his condescension, and then onto the cross to... to uh, achieve the atonement for our sins. That was his mission, and, and it's the foundation for our mission. Then we talked about that prerequisite to even understand what our, our to even be able to start being on mission. We have to have we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. Right. And then we spent a lot of time talking about our actual mission. That is to be uh, the visible manifestation of Christ in the world, the conduit for Him working in this world, accomplishing his purposes through us as his primary way of accomplishing his purpose. And so that's it for today. And with that, we've, wound, we've wrapped up our incarnation message. We've lit the fourth candle on our Advent wreath there. And I wish you all a Merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer and uh, the group can come back up. Oh, great God, I pray that you will use some of what has transpired today to grab hold of hearts if there was anyone here who doesn't know you yet, I pray, Lord, that they will not walk back out those doors without making a commitment to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, help change our minds, uh, transform us, get us on mission so that our lives will have purpose and meaning. And, and that for maybe the first time, Christmas will be really, really, truly important and joyful. Uh, Lord, we just pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.